Listener Production. Hello and happy Friday. Welcome to The Briefing. I'm Katrina Blowers. And on today's show, how much do you trust social media influencers? Well, the ACCC has discovered some pretty crazy stats on online business reviews and social media influencers in their latest internet sweeps. More than 80% of influencers they surveyed are making posts with potentially misleading advertising, while over 30% of businesses they looked at have been engaged in manipulating online reviews. Both the review conduct and the conduct of influencers has the capacity to significantly influence consumers' purchasing decisions. So we are keen both that consumers are protected in the sense that they're not being misled uh, in relation to the purchases. Yeah, we're going to get into this crackdown and, and how much teeth it really has. That's in the second half of this episode. But first, let's get into today's headlines with Bensi and Siebert. It is Friday, December the 8th. morning, Katrina. The federal government is copying flack from business chiefs over its IR reforms, which were rushed through Parliament yesterday. It was rammed through um, Parliament without consideration of the Senate inquiry. Particular amendments were only introduced at the last minute and were not uh, reviewed at all by the Senate. Master Builders Chief Executive Danita warned there, the laws will criminalise intentional wage theft, create the offence of industrial manslaughter and force companies to pay labour hire workers the same as employees for the same work. The Australian Financial Review reports that big business is threatening a mining tax-style campaign against the changes in the lead-up to the next election. BHP and Qantas, which both use labour hire workers, are among the critics. Yeah, so they're saying things like it's going to result in huge job losses and it's going to, you know, drive up the price of them being able to do business, which in turn will lead to higher costs for consumers. I don't know that this is really going to fly, given that the companies like BHP and Qantas and other mining companies are posting big profits and giving their CEOs big fat bonuses. And, you know, as people like Independent Senator David Pocock and Jackie Lambie are saying, the cost of paying these labour hire workers more or fairly in some instances is like, as Jackie Lambie says, a sneeze in a handkerchief for them in, in terms of their overall bottom line. So yeah, they might go hard on this, but uh, I think fairness for pay is something that a lot of Australians would get behind. Absolutely. And I just don't think there'll be a lot of sympathy for a company like Qantas, given that it illegally sacked 1,600 workers and there's allegations that it's sold already cancelled flights and the mining tax uh, campaign against the Rudd government was really powerful and it made a huge difference and this was during the mining boom but the mining industry really doesn't have as much power as it did during the mining boom. Yeah, and I definitely don't think this is going to be the last we're going to hear of these IR reforms. Um, we're going to get more changes coming through after a Senate inquiry reports back in February. And those changes will be to casual employment and uh, also new gig economy provisions. 
A heat wave is hitting most of the country's east, starting today with parts of New South Wales to reach the mid to low 40s over the weekend. 19 schools in New South Wales will be closed today because of extreme bushfire warnings as the New South Wales Rural Fire Service stays on high alert. And South Australia is also facing catastrophic bushfire warnings with thunderstorms and gale force winds today. Some total fire bans have been declared for some of the highest risk areas areas around New South Wales, Victoria and South Australia. And we've got a bit of an update on Cyclone Jasper as well. Uh, Bensian, um, what's going on there? Do we know more about that? Yeah, the Category 3 system could make landfall next week, anywhere between Mackay and Cooktown, and it's set to intensify to a Category 4 later today as it continues to move across the Coral Sea. Sydney broadcaster Alan Jones has launched legal action against nine newspapers after the Sydney Morning Herald ran a front-page story yesterday accusing Jones of groping a number of men. Jones was the number one broadcaster in the Harbour City for more than 30 years and wielded extraordinary power in the halls of government, arts, culture and sport. He has vehemently denied the allegations. Jones' lawyers, Mark O'Brien Legal, issued a statement in relation to the claims, saying, in the short time available since publication, we've obtained substantial factual information which contradicts and refutes the alleged pattern of conduct by Mr Jones. We've retained senior counsel and have instructions to immediately serve a concern concerns notice as the first step in the commencement of defamation proceedings. One former 2GB staffer hired to be Alan Jones's driver told the Herald he was repeatedly grabbed and indecently assaulted in the radio host's car when driving Jones home after the daily program. He says he decided to speak out because he has children of his own. The article also alleges similar unsolicited approaches from Jones, including sexual touching and fondling. And here's a story we all need. Scientists have found a better way to grind coffee. According to new research, adding a spritz of water to your beans before you grind them does this thing. It's science, apparently. It reduces static in the grounds, which creates a much smoother blend, meaning fewer clumps and lumps. Benzian, you sent me this article <laughs> very early this morning, and what I just blew my mind about it, you know, there were various things that blew my mind about it, but one of them was that the researchers included a team of volcanologists, so people who study volcanoes for a living, put their considerable brain power to a better way of grinding coffee. I kind of love that. Look, we've got to have everyone that we can to look at this problem. We need the coffee to be as good as it possibly can be. <laughs> and given that it's uh, 5.36 at the time of recording, I am desperately in need of that. All right, we are going to get into our briefing topic now on this crackdown on social media influencers and online business reviews. It's with our briefing executive producer, Eleanor Harrison-Dengate.
If you spend too much time scrolling through your feed like me, you'll know everyone's hustling. Practically every influencer seems to be promoting something, while plenty of businesses seem to have heaps of great reviews for products maybe you've never even heard of. Well, it turns out they might be breaking Australia's consumer law. ACCC Acting Chair Katrina Lowe is here to tell us about what they've discovered in their recent internet sweeps. Katrina, thanks for joining us on The Briefing. So the ACCC has just released two reports into concerning behaviour online. Can you tell us a bit about what you've discovered? Absolutely. So we're putting the reports out really as an update about our activity in the important area of ensuring accurate claims by influencers and also those who are providing online reviews. And we have found a range of concerning conduct, frankly, across both of those areas. So in relation to influencers, 81% of the influencers that we looked at had made concerning claims. And in relation to online review practices, we found concerning claims uh, in 37% uh, of, of businesses that we examined as part of the sweep. And so in terms of influencers, were there sort of some influencers who seemed to be, I guess, worse offenders than others? As the high percentages suggest, we did find that concerning conduct was widespread. So the sorts of things we are particularly concerned about is really inadequate disclosure of relationships that might exist between influencers and brands. So for example, the provision of free gifts, the provision of payment uh, in exchange for endorsement and either inadequate disclosure or no disclosure uh, of that relationship or disclosure that is difficult for consumers to see or understand. So it might appear uh, in the same colour as a background, for example, uh, or it might use terminology like hashtag SP or hashtag SPON uh, or collab or those sorts of abbreviations, which can be difficult for consumers to really understand what is going on. Okay, so like if you're looking at a fashion influencer and they've got a mug or something with like Coca-Cola on it, like you're talking about something as simple as that? Well, it depends on, uh, that's a product placement issue. What we're really looking at is did Coca-Cola in that instance in some way encourage uh, the provision of that mug on the desk? And if so, if the mug was free or if there's a contractual relationship between the influencer and the brand, we expect that that will be clearly disclosed to the followers. And the reason for that is that consumers often will make purchasing decisions based on trusted relationships. And that's exactly the sort of relationship that the influencer is designing to establish with their followers. Uh, And for that reason, they need to be particularly careful that they're not misleading consumers into thinking that it's a personal independent endorsement, if you like, when it might in fact be as a result of a relationship. Okay. And so I was reading in your report that fashion influencers seem to be the worst. 
that is indeed correct. I mean, the, the range of concerning claims for influencers range from 96% uh, in the case of fashion influencers through to around 73% in relation to gaming and technology influencers. They are both very high numbers, evidently, but a particularly high number in relation to fashion claims. The other report that you had coming out was about business reviews. So it sort of seems that online businesses, quite a few of them, are curating the reviews that you can see uh, about their business. Can you tell us a bit about what you found there? Curating is a very good word in relation to some of the, the conduct that we found. And really what we're seeing is that in a range of ways, some businesses are manipulating, in effect, the reviews to make their business come out more favourably uh, than may, in fact, be justified. And there's a range of ways in which that might occur. So businesses might incentivise the provision of positive reviews. They may make it more difficult uh, to lodge a negative review and indeed sometimes will in fact provide different pathways depending on whether the review is positive or is negative. The other thing that we're seeing is that there's a, a proliferation uh, of third parties that might be assisting businesses to manage their reputation. Now, of course, managing reputation is an entirely legitimate endeavour for, for business to engage in, but it's about how they go about doing it. So we do see businesses, uh, many of them offshore, that market that they will help create fake reviews. And there's also instances where we've heard of businesses, in effect, seeking to remove negative reviews. Now, if the review is not legitimate, that is one question, but we've also heard reports of seeking to remove legitimate negative reviews. So these online business reviews, these sort of influencer issues with advertising, why is the ACCC so interested in this space? One of our compliance and enforcement priorities is to focus on misleading and deceptive conduct in the online environment. Of course, an increasing number uh, of Australians have been shopping online. That's a trend that's been growing over a number of years and has certainly exacerbated significantly during the pandemic, uh, but has continued subsequently. So Australians have become accustomed to shopping online and also interacting online in general. And of course, both the review conduct and the conduct of influencers has the capacity to significantly influence consumers' purchasing decisions. So we are keen both that consumers are protected in the sense that they're not being misled uh, in relation to the purchases that they're making, but also that legitimate businesses that are not engaging in misleading conduct are not suffering at the hands of those that may be. Speaking of that, one of the things I was interested in is, do you think that all of these instances that you've come across are sort of on purpose? Do you think that people just might not know that SP isn't enough? We are very conscious that the influencer industry in particular is quite rapidly evolving, quite rapidly changing. And we are very conscious that it may involve a number of people that are simply 
not aware uh, of the detail of what is required under the Australian consumer law. And that's why we're taking a range of approaches in terms of how we respond to this issue. And one of the reasons indeed that we're keen to promote both our findings, but also what is required in order to not mislead consumers. And that's one of the reasons that we want to put this information in the public domain. We are also in the process of producing guidance uh, in relation to both of these areas. We will also uh, consider appropriate compliance and enforcement action, but that will always be proportionate action. So we do consider the nature of the individual making the representation and that's also the reason that we're interested in the conduct of brands, particularly for large brands, ought to have really robust compliance processes in place to make sure that they are not in effect inducing the misleading of consumers. Okay. And so you sort of mentioned enforcement there. I guess if you sort of found a particularly egregious example, I mean, what would be the sort of the worst thing that could happen? So we have a range of compliance and enforcement approaches we can take, ranging from what we call an administrative resolution, where we might bring our concerns to the attention of the individual or business concerned, all the way through to court-based litigation. And breaches of the Australian consumer law can attract penalties up to $50 million. However, where an action falls on that spectrum is subject to a range of factors, uh, which do include the nature of the entity undertaking the misleading conduct. So you would expect to see a range of responses from us across that spectrum. And certainly it would only be in respect of very large national traders or very egregious consumer harm that you would expect to see us taking action that sought a penalty in that very large range. But we are equally concerned that we want to see improved conduct in this area because we know it does impact consumers' decision-making. Okay. And for the consumer, so say we're looking at something you know, business is looking pretty good, all the reviews are looking amazing, or, you know, there's an influencer that you, you know, looking at and you're like, oh, actually, I do like that thing that they're talking about. How do you spot whether they're engaging in these sort of dodgier practices? So there are a few things that consumers can look out for to spot dodgy reviews in effect. So that might be a spike in very positive reviews about a particular business over a short period of time. Uh, It might be multiple reviews written by the same reviewer. Uh, It might be really very generic without giving any text that suggests that the person writing the review really has had uh, the experience or, or used the goods. It might have some really common language that's been used uh, in a number of reviews. And it also might be that the reviews on the business website are very positive, but reviews in more independent or generic review sites tell a bit of a different story. And that's certainly something to look out for. So if it is perhaps feeling like it's a little bit too good to be true, one thing a consumer can always do is search for those independent 
reviews and, and see if the story matches up. Thank you so much for that, Katrina Lowe, uh, for chatting to us today on The Briefing. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, Eleanor, for that. All right, that's it from the weekday team. But on the weekend briefing, we have a chat with queer artist and actor Kath Ebbs. Now, Kath became an accidental influencer when they were scouted on Instagram at just 17. Helen Smith is going to chat with Kath about how we can make the film industry more inclusive pronouns and their relationship with social media and body image. That is our chat coming up on the weekend briefing. Hope you all have an excellent weekend, whatever you're doing, and we'll catch you on Monday. Listener.